I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am joined by two of my favorite people. I am joined by Mile High Reports, Joe Mahoney. Howdy, howdy. Hey, how you doing, Joe? I'm doing good. Uh, if you guys want to follow Joe on Twitter, he is at NDJoeMo76. I am also joined by JT Olson of Bucks Report. Hello, hello. Joe, Joe, how are y'all doing today? Good to see you. Good evening. Good to finally hear you, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> it was a struggle there for a minute. I am doing great. Uh, and again, if you guys do not already follow JT on Twitter, go do that. He is at Icewater Olson. Uh, Olson with an O. I always screw that up. For some reason, whenever I write your name, Jeff, I don't know why I do this. I always write an E and then I look at it. And I'm like, that is not right. And then I fix it. Um, you know, I can't blame you because my editor does that too. So every time <laughs> I put out a mock draft, it's JG Olson's mock draft. And it, my name is spelled wrong in the title. And it's just, I've just come to accept it. <laughs> uh, but tonight we are, so I, we're about two weeks away from the draft realistically the Broncos roster in terms of like their starting lineup is pretty close to set right now. The Broncos have about $10 million in cap space uh, before we consider the rookie pool and you know, the quote unquote like rainy day fund. If you know, they get struck by injuries and they have to sign someone late. Uh, so that means the major free agent moves are basically over following the cream Jackson signing uh, barring, you know, yep. releases restructures or a Russell Wilson extension that I don't think is going to happen until a new owner is in place. Uh, 
And then additionally, the Broncos pick their first pick is 64. Uh, and then they have, you know, the 75th and onward and outward. But when you look at that, uh, I did, a, I, I talked about this last week with uh, Mile High Reports, uh, AJ Schulte. Realistically, based on a study that uh, Over the Caps, Justin, Justin Fitzgerald did uh, in 2019, I want to say it was 27.5% of second round picks are still on the team that drafted them after their rookie contract ends, which is insane. Like, and, it, and it's very true. Like when you look at the Broncos, there are only two Broncos that were drafted after 63 by the Broncos who are on the Broncos roster on a second contract. And that's Justin Simmons and Josie Jewell. So, I mean, what we're looking at with the roster is probably pretty close to what having looked at the depth chart, do any spots on the Broncos roster really jump out to you as potential problem areas this season? Well, I mean, we, you know, we still, I don't think Singleton's the starting inside linebacker, honestly. Uh, so I don't know what, what's going on there. I, I, I still don't understand the move of um, uh, moving Browning to edge. Same. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, looked like he was finally figuring it out at uh, as, as an inside linebacker last season and, and uh, you know, dropping him down to edge, you're, you're weakening a position where you literally had almost nothing, um, you know, coming into the off season. You know, resigning Jewel is you know, a good move. I, I applaud that. I like that. I think that was a, a pretty wise deal. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, it's it's really one of those. It's one of the few holes that are still left on the roster. Um, that and you know, you've got essentially backup running back uh, if the Broncos decide to go um, uh, with with that. Uh, drafting a guy uh, essentially at, at to be the 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 timeshare running back but as we were discussing you know before the before we started recording um the you know Hackett could decide to do what he did with Fournette in uh in Jacksonville and basically say this guy's the best running back we've got on the team I'm going to feed him the ball 350 375 times during the season because whoever the backup is just is there's that much of a difference that I'm I'm leaving yards on the field by giving carries to whoever running back two is. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that was one of the other things that uh, I'm actually there's this study I'm working on for next week where I I looked at all these teams that were the most effective rushing teams this century. So it was basically if you had um, if you as a team you averaged five point zero six. So rounded up to 5.1 yards per carry. And there's only like 23 of them uh, this century. So it's not that common of a thing to do. Um, but one of the, the questions that popped into my head was, did these teams lean on a single back or did they do the timeshare backfield? And by and large, it was single back. Um, and when they were doing this, the, the single backs that they were using tended to be... Um, one of the best, if not the best running back in the league at that time. Uh, so uh, it was kind of an informative study. The other thing I looked at, you know, since, hey, I'm an offensive, old offensive lineman, uh, I wanted to know, you know, did, did these teams have, you know, really good offensive lines? Uh, so I, I looked at 
um, whether or not you had guys who were Pro Bowl or All Pro on the O lines, um, and uh, you know, kind of use that as a measure of how good their offensive lines were. Although a lot of times you may have a guy who's a who's an ace pass blocker that may not be a great um, run blocker, and he ends up being All Pro uh, because of his pass blocking. So, you know, I didn't know if that was necessarily the greatest measure, but particularly when you're going back to like 2002, it's really hard to get any kind of feel for how good or bad a particular offensive line or offensive lineman was. Are there any spots that jump out to you, JT? Because one of the things, one of the things that you have in terms of like perspective is you study the Bucks. So like, obviously you're looking at the roster from a different lens uh obviously russell wilson is not tom brady uh i am that said i am very excited i don't think quarterback is the biggest concern about the roster uh but does anything jump out to you as concerning if if you were a broncos fan yeah you touched on it i kind of look at it from the lens of covering the buccaneers and i kind of view it as if the bucks are playing this team in a super bowl how confident would i feel going up against this roster mm-hmm. and Looking at the front seven, I see a pretty solid group overall, but I think Joe kind of touched on it, the lack of depth moving Aaron Browning to edge. Um, If, say, Bradley Chubb goes down, there's not a lot behind him there. Nope. And even Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb healthy, not an elite pair. It's a good pair, but it's not Von Miller and Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl. Right, and I I actually – I. Toss that up. Uh, I don't know uh, when we signed Gregory. I said, let's look at the uh, the pairs. Or this is basically after the, the the big first wave of free agents were signed. So let's look at the let's look at the pair of edge rushers that each or the the two best pass rushers on every other team just in the AFC West. And I said, frankly, just on paper, the Broncos are in last in the AFC West. Uh, not not necessarily just you know. It, it, I mean, I. I we could have done it for every team in the league, but I was just looking at, you know, you got Max Crosby and um, Chandler Jones now in Oakland. Uh, you've got um, Bosa and oh, who did the Chargers sign? Mack. Yeah. And, and they trade that. Yeah. Traded for Khalil Mack. Um, and then you've still got Chris Jones and um, uh, what's his name in, in Kansas city. So, you know, it's, it, and yeah. I would and I would push just on that. I, I do think that the Broncos and again, this is a big you know asterisk. If Chubb and Gregory are both healthy, I do like them more than Frank Clark, uh, just because I don't think Frank Clark has been very like he was good last year. Like last year was probably his best year in Kansas City. But I still I, I think he like and honestly, this is one of those things that has really helped Denver. And again, they haven't capitalized with their quarterback situation. Kansas city has actually kind of made a couple of pretty big mistakes in terms of like drafting veteran free agents like the, the, and that's one of the reasons why if anybody follows me on Twitter, I have made the point m- multiple times. Like this is the year, like this is the year Denver has a real opportunity to make some noise because the chiefs gave away Tyreek Hill. They have not yet done enough to like make up the difference that they lost with Hill. They have a lot of draft capital though. So the picks they're making this year, if they're good, they'll probably help this year, but next year and down the road, they're going to be a lot better for it. This is the year to capitalize. Yeah. 
I do agree with both of you in terms of linebacker, though. I have actually watched five games of Alex Singleton. I think Jonas Griffith's going to beat him out. Uh, based on what we saw from Jonas Griffith last year at linebacker, he played the last four games because of injuries. Alex Singleton is quite bad at the point of attack against blockers. Uh, he's pretty athletic. Like, and, and again, like in coverage, if he's playing zone coverage, I think he's okay. But if you have Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton on the field and the defensive, and you're in base personnel, so you have McTelvin Ajim or Deshaun Williams at one of those defensive end spots, I would just pound the rock right wherever Singleton is. And if, and if either Gregory or Chubb out and you have either Cooper or Reed in, like the Broncos are begging to get run on at that point. So that is definitely a big concern for me. Uh, is there anything else that you guys are thinking about as you see this? Just well, yeah, I mean, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say you, you touched on you know the, the health with with Chubb and Gregory. I mean, neither one of them is has consistently played full seasons ever uh, in the NFL. So you know, counting on both of them to put in even fourteen or fifteen regular season games is is a big roll of the dice. Mm. Um, and you know, and that's why you and I have discussed this on 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 Slack and our our Baja report chat. Uh, the Broncos still have a need for an edge. Yep. I mean, this is uh, I I would love it. I, I don't think he's going to fall that far, but a guy like Ajabo out of Michigan, um, because of his injury, um, if he can if he slips uh, to the middle of the second round, I would love to trade up and get him. I think he has the potential to be a really good edge for a long time in the NFL. Um, and, uh, you know, it would essentially be a steal to get him in the middle of the second because you're talking about a guy that, if he were healthy, would could legitimately go in the top 10. Yep. Um, particularly in a draft like this, which is so weak with quarterbacks. So you're going to see teams looking at those other premium positions, the edge rushers, the, the cornerbacks, um, are really going to jump up in terms of their priority and the offensive tackles, um, just because the the quarterbacks are so milk toast. The thing about Ajabo that would scare me for Denver if he was available there, he kind of is that same concern. He's not very good against the run. Mm-hmm. A lot of times Michigan had to take him off the field on those short downs, and I know when you're looking at a pass rusher, their run defense isn't your top priority. But if your linebackers aren't very good against the run and your edge isn't very good against the run, you know, that's adding up to a big problem. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that, uh, and we're going to get here in a second, but looking at the Broncos visits, one of the players that they brought in was D'Angelo Malone. Uh, and I would say, and in, from Western Kentucky, and again, I'm going to preface this by saying like the visits don't necessarily mean that the Broncos are going to draft these players. A lot of times you're vetting them, you're doing extra work on them. But the fact that the Broncos are doing that extra work on Malone does, you know, kind of put him on your radar. Malone is that his 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 biggest issue is run defense because he's so light. He's going to have a lot of the similar issues that Malik Reed has. Granted, he's a better athlete than Reed and he's going to be a better speed rusher. But that's the trade off you're getting there is you're going to be giving up a little bit of weight against like power running teams. Yeah. Yeah, and and with if Reed's going to have any time on the field at all next season, the Broncos can't afford to have somebody else who they uh, they you know can't protect in a running situation. Because I I'll probably be having nightmares about that Eagles game from last season for you know for the next decade. Um, 
just because literally the Eagles were finding Malik Reed on every single down and just running audible into a run right at him. Yep. And it was they just, him. It, they steamrolled him. Yeah. It just, just, you know, it was, it was textbook. It was like, like a high school game where you find the team, you know, they've got a weak point on their defense and they don't have anybody to put in who could do better. And you just go right after that guy play after play after play. Yep. Um, so, so would you guys say that edge linebacker, I want to say, defensive line a little bit and then backup running back on a scale one to 10, 10 being like alarm bells. Like they need to do something. One being like, nah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Uh, how concerned are you about each position? I'm going to start with the backup running back. I'd say a two because you feel really confident in your starter. Yeah, I'm, I'm there too, a two or a three. Um, just because I think if we don't have somebody who, you know, can handle 150, 200 carries as a, as a, as a, you know, a timeshare running back that I think that's what Hackett's going to do. He's just going to say, fine, I'll, I'll leave Javante Williams on the field and we'll, you know, ride him like a thoroughbred. I also, I'm, I would say I agree. I'm probably about a two, just because I also think if Mike Boone is healthy. Mike Boone is a very good fit for what it sounds like Nathaniel Hackett wants to do. Uh, he had a lot of success in Kevin Stefanski and K- Gary Kubiak's offenses that run a very similar running scheme. The big question with him is health. Uh, so looking at edge on a one to 10 scale, where are you guys at? I'd probably go more of a three or a four there because you really want a rotation that you feel confident in especially if you don't have that elite guy, you're not taking off the field like a Khalil Mack or a, a, a Miles Garrett, a TJ Watt. Those guys are in every play, but we have good, not great. You want to keep those guys fresh, keep them at their best every play. And you really kind of want that third guy in there, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm about in the same place. I, I mean, if you look at Chubb's best years, um, he was on the field, you know, 83, 85% of the defensive snaps. So, you know, he's that guy that he's going to be in there every, every down. Uh, you're not going to take him off the field unless you really need to rest him kind of thing, or he can do that. Uh, he has in the past, but with Randy Gregory, I, I want to say his, his high for a season in terms of defensive snap percentage was like 65%. Yep. So, you know, we've never seen at an NFL level, if he can be a three down edge. Yep. Um, and you know, if you look at the if you if you're saying you're gonna swap out um Malik Reed for him and bring Malik Reed in, uh, you know, that frankly is is a drop off whether it's in run, it's definitely a drop off in run defense, and it's 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 in my opinion, it's a pretty big drop off in pass rush as well. Agreed. Um I mean, I, I uh kind of really got into looking at uh, SIS um, data uh what is it sis data solutions i think is the place oh, sports the info solutions site. yeah yeah um and they they have uh something that i haven't found anywhere else where they basically look at pass rush effectiveness yep they've got you know pressures and pass rush snaps and they you can plot these things and i looked at malik reed last season and uh, for the for the volume edge rushers he was like the third worst in the league yep with you know of anybody with like 150 pass rush snaps i think he, he had like a 7.2% pressure rate and, and that, there were only two guys who were worse. And that shows up if you look at ESPN's pass block win rate or pass rush win rate as well. 
Uh, he was not double teamed very often, and he was still very, very ineffective on generating pressure per rush. Uh, so while he has like the, the overall counting stats, like he had sacks. And again, if you watch the games and I know you, you did as well, he shows up as a pass rusher. If you use him on stunts, he doesn't really show up as a, he's not a guy who's going to win one-on-one, uh, against anything but like the worst. And again, I say this as somebody who really liked Malik Reed when he came out undrafted, but it's one of those things where he has played a lot of snaps with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb in part because of the injury to the other player, but that doesn't necessarily mean you want him starting. Right. It, it's it, Broncos fans want him to be Shaquille Barrett and, and he's, he's not, not. And, he and he's never going to be, and he won't ever yeah. be. And I, and again, I say um, this not to be critical, but just to be, I think it's fair to have realistic expectations for him. Um, yeah. So I would say that you guys both made good points. My concern is much higher, um, but that's also because I tend to put a lot of emphasis on the need for an edge uh, or a pass rush. And the thing is the Broncos are paying DJ, uh, DJ Jones so much he's going to be on the field at least 60% of the time. And he is, he's an additional rusher. He's not someone who's generating pressure. He's somebody who adds to it. So because of that, I think you need your other defensive linemen and then you need your edge rushers to be able to like create enough havoc for him to feed. And I don't know if they do. I think when healthy Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb are very good, but I think both of them are so unreliable in terms of their health. You can't count on that. And then you look at what's happening behind them. And both Jonathan Cooper and Malik Reed have physical limitations that are going to show up against average tackles or better. So for me, I would say it's like a seven. Um, I'm pretty concerned about the edge because I, I kind of worry that George Payton is doing the same thing he did last year with right tackle where Juwan James had played 63 snaps in two years and the Broncos didn't draft a tackle because George Payton was confident Juwan James would be fine. Yeah. Well, and, and I look at it as a situation where we need Draymond Jones to uh, to mature, right? To turn into that elite defensive end from from both a run stop and a pass rush perspective. Yeah. So, uh, you know, essentially for Broncos fans, we need Draymond Jones to turn into 2015, 2016 Malik Jackson. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he has the potential to do that. But the question lot, is, it's a lot will he? Him, yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's a big jump because if you look at the guys, you know, the 285 pound defensive ends who can play both phases that effectively, there aren't many of them in the league. No. And, you know, to think he's going to suddenly go from being a guy who was very up and down in his play, it seemed like he would dominate against inferior um, guards and tackles. But then there were games when he was just invisible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I if, I would guess if I had to look back and look at the guy he was up against, you know, the offensive lineman he was facing in those games where he was invisible, it was a function of he was just playing against better offensive linemen. So similar to Malik Reed, he's one of those guys where you give him a favorable matchup, you give him like a a lumbering tackle with Malik Reed, uh, and he's going to use his speed to get around that guy and he's going to generate some pressure. But if you give him a tackle that's fairly agile and still strong, he's just going to get swallowed. Uh, and the same thing, I think with Draymond Jones, where against b- average or below average tackles, he can, you know, he can look like a game changer, but he put him up against an above average offensive tackle, above average guard. And he just gets, you know, okay. He's just another guy on the field, not doing much. And that's one of those things too, or I, I, I think a lot of what you're saying, I agree with, I want to push back just a little bit, just because I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I think Jones was the best pass rusher on the Broncos last year, and he was really the only one, especially after the Von Miller trade. And I think that hurt him in a lot of ways just because teams could key on him a little bit more. I, I do think that he has a much better three technique than he is a like a five technique in terms of like mm-hmm. out of the base personnel. Uh, and my hope is that the Broncos have the at least enough now to kind of leave him there. Uh, but it's one of those things we'll see. Um, I do think that like Malik Jackson is probably the hope. And I think like I, I hope for that. Um, but I don't know if I expect it just because that is people sleep on how good Malik Jackson really was just because he went on to Jacksonville and then eventually got hurt. But that mm-hmm. year in Denver, he like the Broncos signed Derek Wolf to the extension because he was cheaper, not because he was better than Malik Jackson. Right. Um, and, you know, we 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 knew that Malik Jackson was going to get a big deal somewhere because yeah. the, the league, like I said, if you're if you're effective in both phases uh, at you're defensive gonna end, paid. you're going to get paid. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at you look at the careers of guys like Calais Campbell or Calais or however it's pronounced. Uh, you know, guys who can do that, who can dominate both phases from a um, from a three technique or a five technique, and uh, yeah, they they have they end up with lucrative contracts. How concerned are you guys about the defensive line? I would say for me, knowing like the depth, because again, McTelvin Ajim, he played less than three hundred snaps after being a third round pick in twenty twenty. Uh, Deshaun Williams, I like Deshaun Williams, but he was a minimum signing. Like they they got him back for a veteran minimum deal. And after that, we're looking at, I mean, you have DJ Jones and Draymond Jones, but then you're looking at Mike Purcell, who has played 18 of the last 33 games in Denver, uh, does not add much as a pass rusher. And Marquis Spencer, who I think he played, I think it was like 10 snaps last year. Yeah, he's he's a complete unknown. He is. Um, and I, I would say for me, the defensive line, knowing how bad the Broncos run defense was last year after Alexander Johnson, Josie Jewell, and Von Miller were all gone. I would say for me, the defensive line right now is probably another. It's like six or seven. I I like the players who are there, but I I very I have a lot of questions about the depth, and I I wonder about the plan like with them. Yeah, well, and and that that in and of itself is is you know that explains the signing of DJ Jones right there, right? I mean, he was if you look at um, run stop win rate, he was the number one defensive tackle in run stop win rate last season. Uh, so, you know, they, they, they looked at what was coming back with Mike Purcell. Um, and you know, I, 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 I would be shocked if he's not a a roster, you know, cap casualty, um, just because of, you know, trying to squeeze some extra money out. Um, but you know, signing of Jones, um, is an upgrade over Purcell, uh, minor upgrade in terms of pass rush. Uh, you can see this at SIS, um, but uh, you know, definitely a big upgrade in terms of run stop ability. Um, but yeah, I mean, Deshaun Williams is an effort guy. I mean, I, again, I, I love the late round or the undrafted free agent guys. Um, but you know that they, they aren't all going to turn into uh, Shaq Barrett, right? You know, there's there's a reason they went undrafted, and in a lot of cases, it's because they have they have limitations and. You know, Deshaun Williams is one of those guys. He's he's again, if you put him up against um inferior offensive linemen, 
he can have games where he looks like a, a dominant player, but those are going to be few and far between because, you know, most teams, if they've got an, an offensive lineman that's that easy to attack, th- that guy's not going to stay in the starting lineup for very long. Yeah. I will say and, this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I was, I was about to talk about a game, but you know, again, he's one of those guys where, uh, in the in the few pass rushes that he's had in his career, he has looked fairly effective. But I haven't dug into those to see if that he, was against no he's, decent offensive line talent or whether that was just against you know he happened to play against a, a crappy guard, crappy tackle, and that's why he got some pressures. I think it's partly that, but I think a lot of Ajim is that he is a talented pass rusher in terms of like from a planet theory standpoint, he is bigger. He has a little bit of power in his game, and then he's also pretty pretty twitchy for a bigger guy. Uh, the big problem with Ajim is his run defense. Is, yeah. Again, the last two years, it was bad enough that the coaching staff did just did not trust him, even though they were the coaching staff that was on hand when they drafted him. Uh, so like, he's a guy that, to me, this is a make-or-break year for him in a lot of ways in Denver. He's either going to kind of like, the light's going to go on, he's going to suddenly be a guy in this new scheme, or he might get cut. This is a good year to need a big run-stuffing defensive tackle on the Chief, though. If you're looking at the draft, there are a couple of big nose tackles who I really like who are going to go day three. Um, Kentucky, I can't remember his name offhand, but Kentucky has a big nose tackle. He played really well in the scene, uh, the Shrine Bowl. Um, he is a possible target for a team like Denver who's looking to bolster their run defense. Uh, Tyree Stevenson from Tulsa. Yep. He was the nose tackle who played in front of the Arizona Cardinals first round pick saving Collins and really let him shine to the point where he was drafted in the first round. He's going to be in this draft and he gives me some DJ reader vibes. He's really big, really powerful. He is the guy who I think you can get on day three and he can really bolster and be part of your rotation for your run defense. I'm glad you mentioned the this too, because to me, if, and again, if DJ, DJ Jones is going to help this some, if they are playing Singleton, uh, just because he'll eat blocks. Uh, but if you're going to have Singleton starting, you basically need to have a big body to eat blocks as much as you can, because again, like he just doesn't have, he doesn't have the play strength and he doesn't have the length to make up for the lack of play strength. Uh, I actually was watching his game against the Bucks. The Bucks, similar to what happened when the Broncos played the Eagles, whenever the Bucks needed yards, they ran wherever Singleton was, and it was effective mm. over and over again. Uh, power situation, short yardage, like they just they they trounced on him. Uh, so if you're going to be starting Alex Singleton at linebacker, I think you need to protect him. Uh, but kind of moving moving from there, uh, I want to I want to kind of move to. Two more questions, and again, Joe, I know I know you have to go pretty quick here. Uh, from from a, if it's okay with you, Jeff, I message you. But if it's okay with you, I would like to keep you on after, and we'll do a little bit more draft stuff if that's okay. Um, yeah, I know you. Good. I know you also probably have to go at some point because you guys both have like kids and lives and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but um, knowing what we just mentioned, though, uh, and again, Jeff, I honestly really like your perspective on this. Do you think the Broncos with the issues that they have, where would you place them in terms of like the AFC pecking order? Like, is this a playoff team? Like, do you think that they are a contender for the playoffs? Do you think they're like a favorite for the playoff? Like where, where, where do they stack up with the rest of the AFC? Oh, I would definitely think they're a playoff team. Um, I think they're one of the better teams in the AFC. 
I mean, you talk about the top teams, you talk about the Bills, you talk about the Chargers look really good on paper this year. You talk about the Browns, what the expectations are for them after the Watson trade. I'd say Denver's kind of right in that conversation. You don't trade for a guy like Russell Wilson and not expect to be not just a playoff team, but contending for a Super Bowl. So I think not only making the playoffs, but winning a playoff game is more than a fair expectation for the roster, even with some of the flaws it has. Yeah, and I I, I agree. I'm actually surprisingly less optimistic than uh, than JT is uh, about the Broncos, um, just because you know it's been so many years of getting beaten down by the rest of just the AFC West, even uh that uh, you know to, to look at that and, and to to wrap my head around the fact that we could legitimately you know beat the chiefs this year uh for the first time since three presidents ago um and uh oh, that's a brutal you know, way to look at that but yeah i know that's scary that, isn't it that's real that's a real stat <laughs> that is a real yeah. stat yeah yep the last time the broncos beat the chiefs was the uh third week of the season or second week of the season yep the year the broncos won the super bowl so the 2015 season yep uh that yeah is scary in fact was, i did a whole post about it that zombie man and comeback game uh <laughs> no no that wasn't the zombie that was the jamal charles fumble no that yeah yeah a, but i just mean like charles like manning i want to say he threw for 300 ish yards though uh so i I might be Just wrong. I might have that no, no, because Zombie Manning that was later on in the year. Because this was this was early in the season. This was because the the first Chiefs game we won, and the second Chiefs game that was the game that Manning sets the record, uh, at, you know, on like the third pass, and then proceeds to throw five picks. Yeah. Um. Yep. And and was out for the next what seven or eight games, uh, because of plantar fasciitis. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, rem- I, I'll never forget. He literally threw an interception to the chief's nose tackle. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that that's just burned into my brain. Um, so do you, do you think they're going to make the playoffs, Joe? I do. Um, I think that we we're going to make the playoffs this year. Um, I think that at the, you know, and again, it's a lot of, it's going to come down to health. If we get one of those years where we're lucky and don't have an injury at a position where we have no depth, um, I could see us making a run in the playoffs. Um, if we get to the playoffs and we've had to do it with spit and glue and bubble gum um, to put the roster together, I think that when you get to the playoffs, you can't hide holes you in your roster like that. And, you know, we'll get there and we'll get completely embarrassed. Uh, in the divisional game or the wild card game or whatever we're playing in um, because there's just a big hole somewhere and, you know, we just, it just gets exploited. Would you say that it's a reasonable expectation for fans to expect the playoffs though? I do. Um, And that's, that's based upon looking at what Nathaniel Hackett's been able to get from an offensive perspective out of much less talent than he currently has now on the Broncos roster. I mean, you've got a legitimate uh, future Hall of Fame quarterback starting. Um, you have uh, one of the better um, trios of wide receivers in the league. Uh, you've got a quarterback that, in general, has not really used the tight end. So the fact that we've got you know Okabunim, um starting at tight end isn't going to be that big of a detriment um, if Russell Wilson follows his career course of mostly throwing to running backs and wide receivers. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you've got a dynamic running back uh, who, you know, if if we need to seal games, um, you know, generally doesn't fumble like the guy who we haven't brought back yet, uh, who was, you know, who, who will get who will never be forgotten now for losing a game because of a fumble while he was a Bronco. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty confident that the offense is going to be dramatically improved over last season. And while I think the defense is going to slip some relative to 2021, um, because, you know, love him or hate him, Vic Fangio was amazing at getting, uh, getting good performance out of chicken shit that we were left with at some positions on the roster. Um, you know, the, the guys who were playing inside linebacker last season, some of them will probably never get a defensive snap anywhere ever unless it's in the xfl so so one last thing before i let you go because i know like you're hitting up against your timeline what do you want to see the broncos do at 64 like do you think is there a position that you hope they are target or are there a couple positions you're really hoping they look at and and i'm gonna get labeled a tackle bro but i'll own it um i would love to see us use that pick at the end of the second on a right tackle um because again you know you know we we've got we signed um god and i can see his face in my uh callan anderson tom compton billy turner turner i was gonna say we we brought turner back uh turner can be a decent right tackle um but he's a stopgap he's he's not the long-term solution we and i don't I don't think Anderson at this point in his career, you know, he hasn't shown that he's going to turn into the long-term solution. I'd be floored if he does and extremely happy, um, but I'm not going to count on it. And so, you know, the Broncos need another tackle. Um, We can't keep doing this game of undrafted free agents and cast offs from other teams that we hope we can turn into the next Jason Peters, you know, the, the next Jason Peters has really yet to be found. You don't find all pro left tackles as undrafted free agents anymore. It just it really doesn't happen. Donovan Smith in uh, in in Tampa Bay, notwithstanding. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's just yeah. Uh, that's that's hoping on a wish and a prayer, and the Broncos can't keep doing that at right tackle. We've been doing it for too long. One of my biggest gripes that I have about Peyton in general is that I believe that he kind of screwed the pooch by not taking a tackle last year because that player would have had a year to develop and been ready to compete to start. And instead, the Broncos are doing a stopgap approach for yet another season. But now they're doing that and hoping that that's not going to stop them from winning a Super Bowl. But Yeah, at least now we have a quarterback that's shown he can be effective behind a poor offensive line. Yeah. and, uh, you know, we, we, we didn't in the past, mm, yeah, six years. Uh, so, uh, so, so that I'm a little bit more confident on that aspect, but I, again, I'd rather we invest some draft capital in the tackle position Same. just because we literally, unless you count Reisner as a tackle and he has played zero snaps of tackle in the NFL, the Broncos have not drafted an offensive tackle since Garrett Bowles. And he's about to turn 30. Yeah. So, so 
on that right. note, it was it was fun. Uh, guys, again, if you do not already follow Joe on Twitter, go do it. He is at NDJoMo76. He is writing for Mile High Report. Go read his stuff. He has a thing, actually, that comes out today as you guys are listening to this. Go read it. Yep. Thanks. And uh, enjoyed this, and have a good evening, both of y'all. Yeah. Since we're talking about right tackle... The Broncos have visited with seven linemen so far. I want to say their highest, like in terms of like adjusted uh, average draft position, the player that they have visited with that has the highest ADP is Tyler Smith from Tulsa, uh, who may not even be there at 64. I know I've seen him get some first round love. I think that's a little rich just based on like his, his issues, but he has the traits to develop into a first round type of tackle. Uh, so it does look like it's on Peyton's radar. I just worry that it's a year too late. And again, like I said before, for you guys listening, a lot of times teams bring in guys to vet them, to see like a medical check, like a recheck or a triple check, stuff like that. Maybe to meet them if they just don't have the full like idea of who this player is. Um, Sometimes they bring guys in just to kind of create the illusion that they're interested in a guy or a position. I don't think that's the case this year. Uh, The Broncos pick behind all but four teams in the league. Like they're so far down the draft board that there's not really any point of trying to trick anybody because most teams can pick before them probably twice. Um, So I think the players that they're bringing in are players that they are genuinely looking to potentially draft. Um, Some of the players that they're looking at are so low down, like the consensus boards that they are probably not going to get drafted. And in that case, those players are probably just recruiting visits and some of the guys to come to mind when we're looking at that, uh, Isaiah Pacheco, who's a running back, Cole Turner, who is a tight end, uh, Jared Bernhardt, who played quarterback for Ferris State, uh, was a former lacrosse player, uh, is probably going to play slot receiver if he makes it in the NFL. Uh, I would be shocked if he gets drafted. Uh, wide receiver Tyquan Thornton uh, is probably like a seventh round priority free agent. Uh, Jaquan McMillan, who is a DB. Braxton Jones. Uh, it's probably not going to be undrafted, but he's a late round guy. Uh, Chico Zium Aquanquo is probably a late round pick. Shamari Jones is a running back who is probably a free agent. Tariq Carpenter played for Georgia Tech. He's a linebacker safety tweener who there are serious questions about his lateral quickness and his ability to play in coverage. So I have a lot of doubts about him going drafted. And uh, DB Deron Bland. Uh, awesome name, first of all. But <laughs> I love that. I don't know why. But, but it looks like based again, like I looked at all the consensus boards and stuff. It doesn't look like he'll be drafted. So it, it's probably a recruiting trip. And I love that in terms of strategy. I don't know if you, where you land on this, if you've thought about it, but the Broncos have enough room for a lot of depth and a lot of spots. And because last year, because of COVID, there was less players that came out. So like the undrafted pool this year, theoretically, a lot of these guys will probably would probably go like sixth, seventh round in a normal draft. I like the idea of trying to recruit some of them, even if they don't, you know, they don't turn into anything more than practice squad guys. I still like the idea of it. The process is good. I mean, I don't mind the idea, but when you get a finite amount of visits and you have limited draft capital as it is, personally, I'd rather kind of target in on those middle round guys who you think this guy could help me win right now. This guy could potentially be a starter for me. Um, and not that I don't like the idea of bringing in those more talented late round guys like a Braxton Jones, but 
if if they draft him at any point or if they sign him as an undrafted free agent, he's not going to be your starting right tackle. It's true. One of the things that I have been trying to do with cover two and with just like what I'm writing about the draft this year is realistic expectations for this draft, because there's a lot of pushing of the next, every, every team does this where the next player, the third round guy, he's going to be, you know, the next steal. Every six round quarterback is going to be Tom Brady. Every undrafted free agent is going to be Shaquille Barrett. That's not true. It's, it's just, it isn't. Um, and I think, creating those expectations for rookies, especially this year with the Broncos having like the expectations they actually have. It's just, it's not really fair to the rookies Um, with where these guys are getting drafted. Most of these guys, if they hit will probably be depth guys. And then playing, if there's injuries, they will probably not be starters. There's some exceptions, obviously. Uh, But I, I don't think it's really fair to expect George Payton to find Jonathan Cooper in the seventh round again. Uh, and, and just to kind of like take a second to look at this, I looked at the last 10 picks at 64 because that's the Broncos' first pick. Uh, and the Bucks had one of these. So so tell me what you think about these players, kind of, you know, as I, as I read this off. And then I want to discuss, you know, kind of what you're thinking. So Kyle Trask was... I want to tell you what I think about Kyle Trask. This, okay. this is going to be a little bit of a family friendly podcast and this would not be a family friendly rant. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jeremy chin. And again, Jeremy chin is pretty good. Obviously DK Metcalf was a second round steal. Like there's no doubt. Uh, but Taekwon Lewis was 2018. I had to look him up and I don't mean that in a mean way, but I, I literally just did not remember what he did. Uh, Taylor Moten went to the Panthers in 2017. Kevin Bynard was the 64th pick of the 2016 draft. That's, yeah, that's about as good that's as a, it gets. That's a worse rant for me. Yeah, but that's but you know what I mean? Like that's about as good as it gets. So again, like there is a world where the Broncos find a steal at 64 for sure. But but this is giving you an idea of like where we're at. Because after Kevin Biner, 2015, the Patriots drafted Jordan Richards. Ooh. I don't even know that name. No, yeah. Uh in 2014, the Seahawks drafted Justin Britt. And Russell Wilson will tell you that he was not very good. Uh <laughs> 2013 was Dwayne Gratz. I don't even remember him. And again, I, I I don't mean this to be mean. It's just legitimately, I don't remember him doing anything. And then 2012, we had Dwayne Allen from the Colts. He was good till he got hurt uh, or he was okay until he got hurt and then he got hurt and he was done. But looking at this, I would say of the 10 picks, five of them were starter caliber players. Five of them were not. And the five that were not Kyle Trask is probably the best case scenario of those five. Well, on the other hand, I mean, most of those other guys who hit, they were all really pro bowl caliber. Yeah. You know, Taylor Moulton's one of the best right tackles in the league. Kevin Byers, one of the best safeties in the league. DK Metcalf. I mean, these are great players. Yeah. So it feels like it's real feast or famine right there when just that sample size. And I think it'll it'll boil down to what the Broncos process is for that 64th pick. Because like as we talked to, you know, talked to Joe about They have clear needs, and some of their clear needs are at positions where you can find contributors later. Uh, But if they prioritize taking a right tackle at 64, realistically, that guy is probably not doing anything this year. Like, you're taking that guy to stash him, and hopefully in year two, he's a great player. Yeah, I think if Tyler Smith is available, I think he would make a natural fit. I'm not sure if I view him as a tackle or a guard, to be honest. But he's got 
got some really nice physical tools. You mentioned you've seen him locked in the first round, kind of yeah. flirting in that territory. I don't like him like that. No, no, me neither. But people I respect say there are teams who are viewing him that way. And so I believe it's possible. Um, but I think a lot of the options after that are Daniel Falele from Minnesota, who's a giant of a human, 6'8", 400 pounds, but not a fantastic football player. I do not like him in a, in a pure zone scheme like the Broncos are going to run. No, he would be terrible in that scheme. Uh, <laughs> Big men don't move that well. And I don't like the idea of him having to pass block for Russell Wilson scrambling around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and really, once you get past the big three in this draft with Cross and Neil and Iquanu, even guys I like, Rick Bernard uh, Bernard Raymond out of Central Michigan, fire up. He, he's not someone I would love plugging and playing necessarily either. I don't love what he brings to the table. Um, Penning out of Northern Iowa. I don't love him as a starter day one. I feel like if Penning has to start early, Penning is going to look a lot like Garrett Bowles did his first year. Uh, A lot of holding penalties, a lot of issues with speed and guys who can get him from wide angles. I definitely agree with that. So really there's not a guy I love outside those first three guys who are probably going top 10, top 15, top 20, the worst with cross. Yeah. After that, I wouldn't really love any guy plug and play at tackle. And that's, I kind of feel like at 64, that's going to be kind of the big conundrum that Peyton is facing is, am I taking an like, you know, quote unquote important position that will not do much for me in year one? Or am I, am I going with the the biggest impact I can? Because realistically, if you're doing that, you're looking at probably running backs, you're looking at linebackers, you're looking at potentially a DB. Uh, maybe an edge rusher if you want to get like a, a designated pass rusher for passing downs. But if you're looking for a tight end or a right tackle or, and obviously they're probably not going to look at a quarterback, but if you're trying to grab a quarterback at 64, any of those three spots, I don't think you're going to get much out of that guy as a rookie unless you, you, you know, strike gold, but no one expects that guy. Like you don't expect the 64 overall drafted tackled to be Taylor Moten right away. It's just no, Taylor Moten wasn't Taylor Moten right away. No. No, I kind of tend to that second school of thought, drafting that guy who can kind of step in and contribute right away. Um, one position you specifically touched on was linebacker is one that jumps out to me as a position I really like a lot, and I think there's going to be really good value at pick 64. I do too. Um, a couple of names I like are Chad Muma, who, if he makes it to 64. Oh, I, hope, I hope he does. He's so fast. I love fluid. him. I love he's him a lot. And I think there's a real chance he could be there. Uh, if not, I think Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin, he's another guy who's huge and he flies around. And if you get him moving forward, he can be a real impact player. I, I've been, I've been really conflicted about Chanel. Uh, I, he was a guy I scouted really early. 
he was very, very fun to watch. Uh, his play, he's an elite run defender. Like he's legitimately, he would step in early in his career and be a very, very good contributor against a run, which is exactly what I think the Broncos kind of need. Uh, the big issue with him, and this is why he might be available at 64, in my opinion, who he is rough in coverage. Uh, I, I thought originally, I thought a lot of it was athletic, but he tested out of the gym. Like he was an amazing tester. Uh, but he just like, when he's stepping backwards and having to play in zone or having to try and mirror match, it's just, it doesn't look like the light has gone on there yet. So I feel like when you drive and again, tell me, you know, tell me what you think, but that's where I was at with him. And I kind of thought like, if he's there in the third round, I'm down, uh, at the end of, at the end of the second, if they take him, I'm not gonna be mad about it, but I, I would be concerned about what they're going to do to protect him in coverage, just because you do have Justin Herbert you do have Patrick Mahomes and Derek Carr in the West. But I, I'm not going to hate it. I do like him a lot. His his Purdue tape is legitimately some of the best tape I've seen this draft season. Yeah, his highs are super high. I mean, you talked about what a great athlete he is. If you get him on the tack and just let his athleticism shine, he's a, potentially a top 15 kind of talent. Yep. The problem is he looks like a guy who's just thinking too much. He looks like his processing speed isn't as fast as I'd like it to be which as a result, his play feet speed isn't always as fast. But if you send him on the blitz, he is as fast and physical as anyone in this draft. Mm -hmm. If you get him run into the edge to try and cut off a running back, he can do that as well as anybody in this draft. Agreed. If he has to drop back and float into coverage and kind of read a quarterback, that's a lot of thought. Uh, is there any other linebackers? I didn't mean to cut you off. Is there anybody else that really jumps out at you as you're thinking about it? Um, one other guy, and I don't think it's 64. I think it would be rich at 64, but I just finished watching Darian Beavers on day three. I would be all about Darian Beavers. I feel like he has some overlap in terms of like his strengths and limitations with Chanel, uh, just in terms of like, he is not great in coverage. Uh, I do think that that would be an issue, but I, I do think he is a very instinctive player. Uh, I like that. I think he plays heady in coverage. I just think his, his physic and I know he tested really well, but I don't think he's his lateral quickness is quite what like even Chanel's. I, I think, I think Darren Beavers does have some issues with lateral quickness and that will show up in the league against faster tight ends, faster running backs. I don't think you're going to want him ever covering receivers at all. Yeah. He's kind of like a Leo Chanel light almost. Kind of. Yeah. I don't think he's quite the athlete. I agree. He looks a little stiff, mm-hmm. but you know, you expect that of a guy his size. Mm-hmm. One guy I'd be interested in, and I still have to do a more of an in-depth dive on his tape is the linebacker out of uh, Montana state, Troy yeah. Anderson. Yep. He's another big time athlete. Yep. I do not have any Montana state tape. So again, guys listening, if you guys want to throw me some tape for uh, Montana state, I would be all about it. Um, but yeah, I know he tested out of the gym. I know he he played like quarterback, running back. Like at one point, he was Montana State's leading rusher. And then they turned him into a linebacker and he became a good linebacker for him too. Uh, the big thing with him is he's making that jump from FCS to the NFL. But I'd be but willing to take that, a gamble on him. where you find the value. I yeah. mean, he could be a first-round talent who Agreed. gets overlooked because of something like that, which was kind of the case with Darius Leonard. That's true. Outside of linebacker, though, are there any other positions that if you're looking for an impact, cause the other one that jumps out to me is running back and 
I am philosophically opposed to drafting a running back at 64. But going back to what I said at the very beginning of tonight with the fact that the Broncos window is right now. Because A, they have the oldest quarterback in the AFC West. I know everybody wants to believe that Russell Wilson is going to play 10 years, but realistically, I think that might be optimistic. And both Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert are not going anywhere for the next 15 years. I think the Broncos, it makes sense to try and chase the window right now. Uh, so if they do take a running back, this is probably the year while I will not complain about it quite as much as usual. I don't think Kenneth Walker is going to fall there, but basically any of the other running backs, like if, if Hall is, is there somehow at 64, I'm probably all about it. I'm not as high on Isaiah Spiller, but I could see why they would draft him. Uh, what do you think of this running back class? I actually, I don't love the top end talent of this running back class. Um, I think every guy has flaws. Kenneth Walker, you mentioned, extremely explosive, but he has like 15 career receptions. Yep. He brings nothing in passing downs, which I don't think is what you want for a backup running back. Um, I, th- I really like the depth, though. I think if you were getting a running back in the fourth round or so, Get a guy like Hassan Haskins. I've seen Anderson from Alabama mocked there a bunch of times. Um, Damian Pierce from Florida. I think there's a lot of quality mid-round options who I don't think it's a huge drop-off from the top-end guys. So if you can get that guy in the fourth round as opposed to the second round, I think that's huge value. And the Broncos, in terms of their visits, did bring in Shamari Jones, who is going to be a late-round guy out of Coastal Carolina. And then while... Nine News has not yet verified this. I have seen this a couple times. The Broncos did meet with James Cook out of Georgia. I like Cook a lot. And obviously, George Payton has the background in terms of like, he already knows Dalvin Cook. They drafted Dalvin Cook when he was with the Vikings. If they're looking for a pass catching back, James Cook is kind of the ideal. Yeah, him and Rashad White from Arizona State are two two names that really jump out to me for that kind of role, who I think would be an ideal kind of backup third down running back who don't have to carry the load, but come in, take five, seven carries a game, maybe catch the ball five times and be a real weapon behind your lead. Are there any DBs that jump out to you? Um, and I, and I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but I want to ask just because that was the one position group we didn't talk about at the beginning. But when you look at the Broncos, and again, on the surface, you look at the Broncos cornerback core, it looks really good. But everybody but Kwan Williams ended up on either IR or the pup list last year. And Kwan Williams has never played a full regular season in his career. And when you look at the numbers, cornerbacks are the most injured position group on defense. So it is probably not realistic to expect the secondary to stay intact. Uh, and again, like, I'm conflicted on the cornerback room because at the same time, the Broncos have five cornerbacks. Realistically, they're probably only carrying six. But DB is one of those spots too, where a lot of times you can find a guy on day two, day three, who can contribute as a rookie because cornerback play is so dependent on your supporting cast. Yeah, I think this is a really, really good cornerback, defensive back in general class. The problem is I like a lot of the top talent, and I don't know how much is going to be available at 64 for the guys who I really, really like. Um, One name that jumps to mind is Roger McCreary out of Auburn, who, as a player, I really like his game. I think he's one of the better 
watches in terms of college film in this class. Trouble is, he measured in with 28-inch arms, which is yep. like negative one percentile for arm length amongst corners. You know, he's not going to win a lot of jump ball contested catches kind of situations, uh, which is a problem. It almost might limit him to the slot, to the nickel, and he hasn't really played there in college. I think his skill translates really well, but that's a lot of projection for a guy who hasn't shown anything on tape to do that. Um, he's a guy who might be available for that reason, but I think a lot of the guys – you know, you talk about as impact players, guys like Kiar, uh, Kier Yilam, guys like um, McDuffie. I think those guys are going to be gone by the time 64 yeah. comes around. One guy that may be gone, but one guy that I'm really hoping is not, and I would be all about at 64, is Cam Taylor Britt out of Nebraska. Uh, I think the big, the big things that are hurting him, I think he needs to improve at, like, reading patterns uh, and, like, reacting that way. But... And he's a little bit undersized. He's 5'10", which, and that could cause him to slide just because he doesn't have, you know, what, what it would be considered like ideal measurements, but he has all the skills you want otherwise to be a very good corner in the NFL. And he looks like a very good scheme fit. If the Broncos are running a version of the fair uh, Fangio scheme again, and that's what it sounds like. Uh, so I, I kind of hope if he's there at 64, they do consider him. Yeah, I can tell you, actually, he's on the Bucks radar. He came in for a visit with the Buccaneers last week or the week before, and he might be that day two range for them. So he's definitely going to go in that late second to mid third kind of area. So I don't think that would be bad value for him at all. And then if we're looking at late, late round guys, uh, again, according to, and again, the Broncos did meet with Cordell Flott of LSU which suggests that they are kind of on, open to taking a nickel because that's where he projects best. But if they're looking at like late, late round guys and just kind of like taking a swing, George's Darian Kendrick is a guy that I really like too. Uh, he played for Clemson, has a lot of character concerns. Like there's a lot of stuff that would need to be vetted, but that's the same reason why he might be available. Um, but when he has been on the field with Clemson, he turned into one of the better corners in college football when he was there. Then he got thrown off the team and he ended up going to Georgia. Uh, his workout numbers were not great. But again, if you're taking a guy like the sixth, seventh round, odds are that guy is not going to pan anyway. So I'm all about taking risks on guys that have like questions like that at that point, just because it's like they have the talent to greatly outperform what you're drafting them with. Yeah. When you're in this win now window and you have limited draft capital, you want to take those uppercut swings in those late rounds. You know, if it's going to bust, it's going to bust bad. But you know what? There's a chance it could boom. And if he can help you win right now, he can be a playmaker. Even if he's so toxic, you cut him in two years, you'll take it right now. Well, and the other part of that too, and I'm glad you mentioned it. The other part of it too, in my opinion, is like the usual return on a seventh round pick is a practice squad guy, like realistically. So if you're drafting a guy who flames out because he's a jerk, rather than he's just not good. Whatever. Like, you know, I, I just think like the potential return there, like the juice is worth the squeeze, as they say. Yeah. Uh, Let me tell you, I have zero regrets about the Antonio Brown signing for the Bucks. You can play that Jets storm off reel over and over again, and I'm just going to watch him scoring touchdowns in the Super Bowl. You know, fair. it's okay to bring in those personalities if you have the locker room to support it, if he can help you win. And that's... And that's going to be the argument I think that Peyton's going to have. And 
how close are we? And to me, and again, and this is kind of where I want to go next. To me, you look at what the Broncos gave up for Russell Wilson. They gave up eight picks and players. They do not have a first round or a second round pick next year. They have one second round pick this year. It's the very last pick. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And he's 33 already. So the next time you're going to have a first round pick, Russell Wilson's going to be 35 years old. And by then, the Chiefs will have had three first round picks. The Chargers will have had two first round picks. Like, the teams around you are all going to be adding young premier talent. So to me, if you're ch- if you're serious about chasing a window, it's worth considering making those kind of picks if that guy can really give you a chance. Um, the other angle to this, and this is like kind of the long view version, I want to hear what you think, is to trade down from 64 in return to try and get a second round pick next year. Uh, kind of do like a version of what the, the Eagles did to the Saints, where you kind of dangle 64 and say, if you give us a second next year, it's not worth as much right now, but... Here's a here's a pick in the second round. What do you think? I think that would be great if it could happen. I just don't think when you're talking the 64th pick, you're going to get that kind of return back. Because, I would say yeah, once you, if you if you're getting a you know a second round pick in return, do you think you can get that, or do you think it's lower? So you'd say 64 for whatever, say the Bucks trade next year's second round pick. Let Let me say it like hypothetically. Uh, if I'm, if you know, I'm George Payton and you're Jason Light, and I say, hey, I'll give you 64. Cam Taylor Britt's on your radar. You, you guys like him. I want a second round pick next year, and I'll give you my second round pick right now. Um, give me, give me a fifth, you know, to make it worth my while, so my fans don't get too mad. I think the trouble with that is the kind of team you'd be trading with is exactly the kind of team you are. It's a team in a win now window. Like, I need this player who can get me over the hump this year so I can win a Super Bowl. And the Broncos are that team. So they might be interested in that in some degree, but I think they might be more looking to trade up and acquire that talent right now. Because three years from now, like you said, Russell Wilson might not be playing anymore. This window could be closed. So you really have to capitalize on what assets you have and kind of mortgage the future a little bit. Maybe you're that team like, hey, I'll give you my third and my second next year. If you want to give me 58. Do you think that's justified in this, in this situation? Like if, if the Broncos can get up to go get, let's say Chad Muma, Chad Muma is there at 58 and you can get up to 58, but you have to give up future capital to do it. Do you think that's justified? I think it's justified because if you win a Super Bowl, no one cares what you gave up to get it. That's true. So then if it was up to you, uh, let's say, you know, I hand the keys of the kingdom to you. How would you approach this draft if you were the Broncos? Uh, Hypothetically speaking, um, would you look to trade up? Would you look to trade down? Would you kind of stick with what you got? Um, And then kind of like, what what are you hoping to do with, you know, 
like we have to come out of the draft with this and you don't have to tell me names, but just like in terms of like positions, what you're thinking about. I think I'd probably to answer your first question. I think I'd probably stay put. I think with the needs on the roster, 64 is kind of a sweet spot specifically with linebackers. So I think that's probably where I'd go early. Probably a guy like if Moom was there, great. Maybe Chanel. Um, those guys I think might be a plug and play starter who can make a difference on your team right now, which is what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe look at your next pick as kind of your offensive lineman. Kind of, I don't have a good name offhand because I don't love any of these offensive linemen in terms of tackles. Yeah, I think some of the guards you guys have brought in would be a great third round pick. I know you have Cole Strange, um, Dylan Parham have come in for visits. Those are guys I would really like in the third round. Same. The only in in the one thing that gets weird if you do that is the number the number crunch on the interior. And I think at that point you're turning into who are we shipping out to make room for this rookie that we can't put on the practice squad. But I do think again, like the potential return, because now that they're moving to a new blocking scheme, the coaching staff may not like Dalton Reisner in a zone duo running game the same way that Mike Munchak did in a ver- like a power running game. Same with Natani Mute. Um, they might not be as mm-hmm. high on these guys in a zone zone game. And to be honest, I feel that way definitely about Mute. Um, Reisner, I'd probably say the same to a lesser degree. He might project better at tackle with what they want to do with this new system, where Parham, I think, would be great in a zone blocking scheme. So if that's an experiment they want to try, and I don't love the idea of any experiment when you're in a win-now window, but if they feel like that's their best option with no great tackles on the board for them, that might be a risk worth taking. Um, I'd probably go running back with one of the fourth-round picks, and I'd probably try and fill out the depth from there, maybe get another linebacker, kind of hedge your bets a little bit, get as many guys who can compete for that spot as possible and just let the cream rise to the top Um, and just kind of fill out depth into special team after that. Because like you said, those day three guys are really not going to get much of a contributor. Most times Mm -hmm. I'll try and get a guy who you think might be able to help you take a, a, a risk, a high flyer, take some depth pieces and just round out the roster for a good quality unit. Okay. Do you, knowing what the Broncos gave up for Russell Wilson, the Broncos are now in a situation where they they finally have a quarterback. At this point, because of what they gave up for the quarterback to really make the Russell Wilson era a success, they have to win a Super Bowl. In my mind, like at some point, do you think, think that first of all do you think that's a realistic belief like with what i you know with what i just said and do you do you believe it's possible i would definitely agree you don't make that kind of move unless your goal and expectation is to win a super bowl i mean look at matt stafford last year the rams did not acquire him to go to the nfc championship game and lose or to make the playoffs they did it to get a super bowl and they did so it was a success Mm-hmm. If they went to the Super Bowl four straight times and lost, I mean, that's nice and it feels good to be successful. But at the end of the day, you're not satisfied because you fell short and you didn't make that move to lose. I think it's the same thing, even though I don't 
know that right now the Broncos are the best roster. They're definitely in the conversation for best roster in the AFC. So I think they can win it. It's just going to be more about matchups once they get to the playoffs. And frankly, how the draft goes for these teams, not just the Broncos, but the Bills and the Chargers and the Browns and those teams you expect to be there with the Broncos at the end. Agreed. And that to me is one of my biggest complaints about Nathaniel Hackett. And again, you know, kind of like we'll, we'll see what happens once the season hits is the fact that he hired such an inexperienced coaching staff, uh, basically. And I, I think you and I have talked about this in the past. Basically everybody is new to the position that they're coaching with a couple, couple exceptions, but either they're new to the position they're coaching or they're new to the NFL or both. And we're already seeing some Broncos coverage kind of start to throw that out there as like a, Oh, I know everybody wants to win this year, but it's going to take time. And to me, again, I I've already talked about this, but Russell Wilson's already 33, a big chunk of like Garrett Bowles is already 30. Like this, this Broncos roster, a lot of the key pieces are not necessarily young. Justin Simmons. I want to say he's 28 off the top of my head, which isn't old for a safety, but you're, you're in your prime. Like this is the window. Uh, and then you look at what the Broncos are looking at next year. They have 41 players under contract. They have only $16 million in cap space. And that's before we, that's before you account for the Russell Wilson extension. Uh, and yes, they can release Graham Glasgow and Ronald Darby to create cap space, but then you have a need at cornerback and cornerbacks are typically not cheap and they will not have a first or second round pick to replace that guy. So as I've said a couple times, I think this is the year Like they have to do what they have to do to put themselves in a position to really chase it this year and then kind of like see what falls going forward. Uh, Cause yeah, there's ways to create cap space going forward, but it's no guarantee. And you look around the rest of the AFC, Josh Allen's young. Lamar Jackson's young. Trevor Lawrence is probably going to figure it out at some point. He has Doug Peterson now. Uh, I want to say he's going to figure it out. I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily happy about it, but I think he will. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert are, two of the three best quarterbacks in football. Like, like this is the window. I definitely agree. And I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but what you said is true. It will take time with this coaching staff and they're going to be learning on the fly. But at the same time, like you said, the roster is experienced. So you're kind of counting on that veteran leadership guys like Russell Wilson, who have been there, done that to, I don't want to say carry the coaching staff, but kind of carry the coaching staff a little bit and use their experience, their wisdom to kind of make up for what the coaches lack. And I hope they do it, but it's been fun. Uh, guys, again, if you do not follow JT on Twitter, go do it. He is at Icewater Olson with two O's, uh, not an E. Um, yeah. And go read his stuff at Bucks report. Um, also you have a podcast now. So I do. yeah. So check that out as well. Uh, and next time, uh, we need to do a live mock so you guys can all hate on us for it, <laughs> but it's been fun, man. Yeah, we'll get together. We'll do it again soon.